0: Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to the 20 Friday Show, the show that wishes English managers could just get a fair crack of the whip in the Premier League. Jack Greenish must be regretting some of his life choices right now. As always on the show, we're looking back and we're looking forward and we have to look back after the fallout from the Anfield defeat, talking to Brighton fan Josh about the Seagulls and previewing Saturday's afternoon's match. Uh, there's a lot to get our teeth into, so buckle up. And to discuss all of this, delighted to be joined by two big hitters, it's and Chris. Good afternoon Asan, how are you doing? Afternoon Howard,
1: um, <clears throat> yeah I'm alright, I'm alright, I'm, I'm ready to do a Friday show, which is probably the right frame of mind to do a Friday show if that makes sense. Yeah, ready to see some football again as well. Yeah definitely, I think, I think not having the midweek game um, whilst it feels like everybody else played has kind of I don't know it's given the impression of a a prolonged hangover from last weekend I think that if nobody had played it'd probably be a bit easier but it feels like everybody's got a new narrative except for us because we didn't play.
0: Hmm. Yeah you remind me of Amazon Prime coverage which is a whole podcast in itself uh, especially the Dublin on the goals show which I never want to experience again so uh, Chris how are you doing?
2: afternoon hard afternoon yeah it's all right I'm okay in a very peculiar week yeah I feel like the axis has slipped on this earth and just strange things are happening and there needs to be a shake of people's collars yeah. to say can we get a grip again please in all, and we're going to talk about one of the aspects but there's so many other aspects that's going on yeah. as well so yeah the, the, um, the game tomorrow afternoon cannot come quick enough for me mm.
0: Well, to be honest yeah Football is about 0.02% of the craziness in the world right now, Mm. but that's what we talk about. So let's get into it. I felt, you know, I did a monologue early in the week and I, I couldn't, you know, because I couldn't ignore what had happened after the match, people weren't actually talking about football as well, which is always very frustrating to me when we spend so little to say we, just, you know. The world, the internet, whatever, uh, the football, Twitter spends so little time actually talking about the football nowadays. A lot of the time, it, that you know, other things, other narratives, and some of the best games, you know, which are Liverpool against City, are some of the best games ever. It just seems to be a sideshow a lot of the time. So it's been a grim week, is how I, how it felt for me earlier in the week. Though I soon moved on. Uh, I said in the notes it would be an open forum, essentially. We'll see where it takes us. You can both say what you wish, rather than me prodding you about the fallout from Sunday, because it has been hard to dissect in many respects, uh, and just overwhelming the, the coverage and just the usual stuff that we're used to by now. Uh, but I'll get the engine running with a few sentences. Uh, the starting place has to be, I think, to look at the fallout from City's briefing after Sunday's match that the comments by Klopp that he made were borderline xenophobic uh, this is following his pre-match comments on the Saturday I assume about not being able to compete ceilings and all the rest and a briefing came in response to the anger from Liverpool uh, at the chanting by some City supporters at the match Asan can I start with you you can just talk as you see fit about you know, uh, that's giving you something to get your teeth into you may want to mm. go in a different direction did City handle the aftermath of this match correctly for you Should you have just apologised and kept it moving and just your thoughts generally on what has been a pretty depressing fallout for the match?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we work backwards, um, I don't really understand why City chose to go the route that they went. Mm. Um, Because I think we the club have a problem, right? And it's not our problem because as supporters, we get to reap the benefits of our continued success and the pleasure that that brings us as supporters. But the club have a little bit of a problem in that there isn't a, I'm uh, to put it bluntly. Um, you're not going to get a fair crack of the whip, whatever happens that literally it doesn't matter who says what and who does what, uh, the 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 kind of i guess the loudest football media and the the biggest outlets and the highest profile journalists who are all on social media um have ensured that everything is viewed through a very particular prism um and so for city to kind of brief well we thought that klopp's comments were borderline xenophobic they were never winning that argument it doesn't really matter what Jurgen Klopp said on the Friday Um, they were just never going to win that argument because who are you you know as soon as you as soon as you put that out there you give all of the people with platforms the opportunity to reply to that and you've seen the 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 anger uh, that that briefing generated it it, it generated a almost more anger than the um than the hillsborough chanting um which objectively is just kind of disgraceful uh the chanting that is i mean i i have no um i have no time for that kind of stuff i'm not about to sit here and defend anybody who chants about munich or about hillsborough you can get in the fucking bin as far as i'm concerned um but it's more than that, you know. You you go to you, to to start at the end with City saying what Jurgen Klopp said was xenophobic. You shouldn't have said that because you were never winning that argument. But let's go back to the Friday and let's go back to the press conference. So, and I've watched it because I think that sometimes you can uh, you can you can read a quote and then when you hear it, it sounds mm. different. So it was important to go and actually watch Klopp, yeah. watch the question and, and watch the answer. Um, and the thing that I find, wow, like, I guess the thing that I find both interesting and a little bit distressing is that I think, it's, I think it's perfectly fine that football managers are biased and myopic, right? I think it's perfectly fine for football managers to be defensive and to be partisan. That's their job, ultimately. You're there to defend your football club, right? Klopp started the season poorly. Liverpool started the season poorly. Um, That was reflected in their league position and in the performances. So the question put to him is, how do you compete with City, right? So obviously Klopp gives the answer that he gives. No, there's three clubs and they can do what they want. Um, it's fine. It's all fine. Very sarcastically, by the way. I think that there's a kind of. Uh, uh, everybody knows the subtext of what he was saying when he said it's all fine. It's all legal. Um, but the thing that I find interesting is that nobody said, but you've competed with them for the last four years. Mm. You know, you, you've, you, you, you were a couple of kicks of a football away from winning everything last season, something that nobody has ever done before. You've built a football machine that is absolutely on many levels, the equal of what Guardiola has built at Manchester City. Why would you say that you can't compete? Can you give us a bit more context or clarify what you mean by we can't compete? And I think the reason that that question is never answered or sorry it's never asked is because nobody wants a real conversation or a nuanced conversation or an honest answer what they want is a headline and particularly when the headline can frame you know innuendo is a very powerful thing and Liverpool felt it because city said well we find your comments borderline xenophobic right and and they are apoplectic about the fact that that manchester city would would brief such a thing but then you know there is a th- th- there is a similar innuendo in everything that jürgen klopp said on the friday because he wasn't clear and he wasn't explicit he didn't clarify or give context to the comment nobody can there are three clubs and nobody can compete with them just said it as a statement of fact and he actually doubled down on it when he was questioned about it on the monday by saying i I just speak facts maybe i was misinterpreted but i just i just spoke the truth um and that kind of brings us i think to what this week has been and and what what we are as a football club and that is basically that we are the villains of the piece. And I think that we're probably the biggest villains in modern football in the sense that, I mean, everybody hated United. Everybody went through that anybody but United fans. Who, who are we villains to? Liverpool fans, the media, or everyone, including rival fans?
0: Because I think it's so, only the first two.
1: Yeah, up. so I, I was about to say that, that. I think that, you know, I, I do... I often talk about the media and it, it often bothers people, but this this is very much media-driven driven and media-led. It's as simple as that. This isn't about rival fans. This isn't about my billionaire is cleaner than your billionaire. This is about a partisan take on a football club that you don't support. So this is about journalists who have grown up with a culture of Liverpool and Man United feeling entitled to success and to wealth and to power and to privilege and city like Newcastle, like Paris Saint-Germain um, are owned by people who are wealthier and have greater privilege and therefore can build a bigger establishment and that. Is the root of the problem that the media have. And it's very it's very obvious because it's reflected in the manner in which City and Newcastle are being spoken about. Um I know it's on the notes. Maybe you want to talk about it later, but I look Can at I just, Chelsea and go on, Chris. So I just
2: yeah, I, I think it's
1: a very, really very frustrating
2: week. I, I, I do think that City were it was a misstep from them in terms of their comms and Obviously, they have pre- yeah. and they have previous for this that there, there was i think for the last three years there's that there, there is a there, there is there's an awful truth that we have to acknowledge which which actually despite all our success and all our progress as a, as a club And as a power in English football and European football, we can simply do nothing about in that there is an entrenched culture, as you've talked about there, eh, Asam, in the media. And there's an entrenched culture in certain fan bases which have taken decades to manifest and will take decades, if ever, to unpick. So it's a cliche that Liverpool fans have a siege mentality. It's a cliche because it's a truth, and and they and they will demonise anybody who attacks them in any way, criticises them, or, or 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 potentially threatens their status. It's it's a cliche that the football media is 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 dripping with Liverpool fans and United fans. It's a cliche because it's a truth, and we we're aware of this, and there's simply nothing we can do about it. And the cold comfort that we've gained is that we've been so successful particularly during the guardiola era so my take has always been you retain your dignity you do not get pulled down into that sewer of conversation where, th- where phrases like xenophobia are being slung around with such ease and you remain silent you don't reveal your hand and your silence is then deafening of course it's deeply frustrating Of course Klopp What he was doing Was trying to put a veil over the fact That this season His performance levels as a manager Were well below par His performance levels as a team Were well below far, par So, so he, he engaged his siege mentality And pointed towards City And that we can't compete with them But as you say They've competed with us For the last four seasons And been one point behind us In two of those seasons and then battered us in a season When they won the title but I do think that City should have just apologized for a minority of fans' behavior and then kept quiet. They wouldn't have said this if we'd won the game. This so, felt like, a, f- this felt like a fallout of other things that were going on in the club at the same time. Probably some players' disgruntlement about the, the tactical... Um, ideas that were put forward on Sunday. Guardiola's probably self-loathing that he knows he knows he made a mistake. I just don't think you're never going to change Klopp's mind. You're never going to change the media's mind. We are demonised for one simple reason because we are a threat. And so we how are do a
1: consist- you so I go on? How do you how do you at- so uh, I accept uh, what you say and I agree that um, uh, that that they probably should have just apologized and kept it moving. But how do you address the xenophobia and the racism, um, within the context of the characterization of city and their owners? How do you, how do we deal? So there's, there's this really interesting thing that I think has happened this week. And that is that, um, for a lot of people for a hell of a lot of people uh, most of them who haven't suffered racism in their lives or xenophobia um for them racism and xenophobia is a racial epithet you, you understand what i mean like it's mm-hmm. you're, you you I to do. be racist to be xenophobic you've got to say i don't like arabs yeah that then there you go you're a xenophobe right fine but actually to I'm a person of color. And in my lifetime, most of the racism and, and xenophobia that I've come up against is very subtle and very nuanced mm-hmm. and very, you know, it's very difficult to, people are very intelligent in how they go about saying things to otherize you, to make you the other, yeah? Um, Jurgen Klopp made Manchester City, Newcastle United, and Paris Saint-Germain, the other he authorized those three clubs and mm-hmm. he will say that the one thing they have in common is they're owned by a state or the one thing they have in common is they're owned by people who have got deeper pockets than our owners right but the reality of the reality is at the root of it what he's saying is those three clubs are owned by arabs they're owned by you know these non-democratic monarchies in the middle of the desert that have all this oil money and we can't compete with that. That's xenophobic. I'm sorry, but I, 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 you cannot, there is no way to unpack that intellectually and tell me that that isn't xenophobia because ultimately when you, again, when you strip all of this back, This is a conversation about my billionaire is cleaner than your billionaire. Yeah. And I said all along, you show me a billionaire, I'll show you a criminal. I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that Mansour is probably not a great guy. Mm. Right. In the same way that I'm perfectly comfortable with the idea that Boley is probably not a great guy. John Henry, probably not a great guy. Why? You don't get to those positions without trampling all over people, without exploiting people. It doesn't work like that. So to bring it back round, the idea of otherizing City and Newcastle, we'll stick to the Premier League, the idea of otherizing City and Newcastle, of course it's xenophobic. I'm sorry. I... I, I'm sure it will offend a lot of our own listeners. I'm sure a lot of people spent this week going, city, why did you say that? It's not the case. It is the case. It very much is the case. And it's something that it's very difficult to swallow and very difficult to, um, to argue against because the, the majority, the moral majority is on the other side of the fence to me. I can say. So, c- and- Sorry,
2: just just, just just a couple of things, I think this is a really v- valid conversation. Would you say that xenophobia then stretches to United's owners when they talk about the American owners?
1: So I think that whenever you generalize, yeah, you walk a fine line. Whenever you generalize based upon nationality, race, whatever, you walk – a very fine line but i've not seen a case of american owners blanketly being authorized in the way that arab owners are authorized respectfully roman was never authorized in the way that city's owners have been authorized he he never was
2: He he was a bit he was a bit so when he first came in he basically set a precedent for that oligarch presence in in Western Europe sporting franchise and and there was there was there were a lot of cliches that were banded around in tabloid media about his Russian. You know, um, uh, nationality and heritage. It, it was certainly banded around. Even if they may have said it was playful, referring back to the Cold War and 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 you know and communists and and, Chelsky. and Red Square. Yeah, Chelski. It's it, it, it was definitely there. Um, and I and I, I think, don't think it's I, been I thought, there to
1: the extent that it has been there with uh, Arab ownership in football. But it's, no, and it's I, a different I, world now as well.
0: where we read all online every day and reading stuff, and it used to be newspapers. And well, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, Aysan, because you've got a fair, be- far better position perhaps to talk about it. And xenophobia, well, if you're, gonna, uh, if you're going to give that accusation, you've got to have receipts in a way. But it's also can be quite, it can be stretched, it can be quite a vague term, and there are levels to it in a way. And it's harder I think for, if- it's harder for us as city fans to defend this when, as ASAN said. We we are owned by a guy linked to the MRT, you know, who's linked to the, the state. I don't think we're state owned, but we're linked to government. And in a country that has many beliefs I abhor, so mm-hmm. it gets very delicate this conversation. And you I can't could apply understand... Western
1: morality to ah. to to a a, a completely different. Part no, it's of personal the world.
0: morality. It's not Western morality. I'm I, I'm talking as a personal person of. And I don't it's know. It's
2: human rights. It's human rights.
0: What our owner, how he evolved is, and all that. But it does doesn't make it easy, does it? <laughs> yeah, it would be a lot easier if we just owned by buy a rich man who, yeah, who's trampled over workers or something. Sure, that's actually I, I seen a superior uh, way I, to that's do it. The, like uh,
1: that's the delicate. That's the delicate balance that we, that's the line that we walk. And that is why we have to accept to a greater or a lesser extent, the villainization of the club and the ownership. And we have to accept the fact that our, as soon as our head rises too far above the parapet, somebody will take an axe to that head. It's why when we are in the middle of a title race with Liverpool and it's neck and neck, nobody talks about can Liverpool compete. All the way through Mancini's failures and Pellegrini's failures, we were not a threat to football. We became a threat to football when we started winning. When our head got Mm. too far above the parapet, we got a bit too good, that's when the campaign truly began. And it is a campaign. Can I, can I ask well, yeah, a question? Yeah, Everton
0: everything can put like 400 million into the club or something. That doesn't matter because they're not a threat to anyone apart exactly. from Can it. I ask a question?
2: I think, I think this, is, I, I just, this is really important. That So I think you make a very valid point, Aysan, that if an individual has not been in direct receipt of, of racist or xenophobic abuse, they are probably likely for far less astute to be able to identify it when it's in its most subtle and seemingly harmless form. And I, I, I absolutely subscribe to, to to that idea that I think that that if, if you've if you've not been if you've not experienced racist abuse, you're much more likely to take a liberal approach to it. And I think and I think there's a real problem with that. What I would say to back that up then is because of the depth of feeling attached to that kind of situation, that kind of abuse and that kind of accusation, and because of its gravity, do you not think that City as a club needs to be more careful when they start to throw those accusations out? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not alleviating Klopp of any blame because Klopp is a shit house, and I'll stand by it. You look at... Any successful football manager is borderline sociopath because of the level of intensity and the level of ruthlessness that that, that, that you have to have, and Klopp is one of those. But what Klopp, what Klopp really is, it, 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 he's a, he's a bullshitter, and he'll pull down a thin veil of excuses, and that's what he did. But I think that if you're going to if you're going to accuse someone, there is some merit there to the accusation. But I think we need to be smarter before we show our hand. And I just thought that city, it was too casual and in some respects undermined and trivialized.
1: I've already said the show. have done it. I said said at the very top, they shouldn't, they should never have done it. My point is simply that when you talk about the, the idea of, well, we we've got to have the receipts and we've got to have this and we we've got to have that. The receipts are in front of you. The receipts are the everyday coverage of clubs owned by Arabs. The receipts are in the otherization, in the manner in which different ownerships are treated differently. A focus is brought to city spending in a manner in which it hasn't been brought to Chelsea spending since Todd Bowley came in. Nobody can explain that to me. Nobody can explain to me why Aston Villa's spending yes. in the last three years hasn't been scrutinized. On the
0: money side, absolutely. Yeah. Everton. Not, no.
1: Nobody can explain to me why their spending hasn't been scrutinized, why people haven't spoken about why aren't the clubs in the middle of the table talking about the fact that they can't compete with Villa and Everton because of their spending I'll tell you so why, what do not we do because they can compete what do we do so, so, we don't do anything so, so, we we so, we sit on our hands and we accept the fact that the this will occur but we shouldn't shy away the only thing i'm saying and the the, the thing that has a little bit riled me this week is like loads of fellas going how dare they use xenophobia how dare City do that? Absolutely disgraceful. And I'm going, no, it isn't. Why is it disgraceful? If you've been on the receiving end of xenophobic media treatment for nigh on a decade, right? And some manager goes into a press conference and goes, these three clubs with their brown owners, yeah, nobody can compete with them. Why shouldn't they say it? Which, even, Mm -hmm. even if you're bothered by the, 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 uh, uh, the, the method used to deliver the message, i.e. a briefing, scratch the surface and look at the message and ask yourself, is there any merit in the, in the message? Nobody wants to scratch. Nobody wants to have that conversation. Nobody wants to say it's possible that our coverage of Arab ownership in football might come off as a little bit xenophobic or racist.
2: we know this. We know it is. But let me ask you a question. Is Klopp a
1: xenophobe? Uh, so I'm sorry, but I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to disappear down a rabbit hole like that. I didn't call Klopp xenophobic and I didn't call Klopp racist. What I said was, if you categorize the three clubs owned by Arabs as other than all the other clubs in the world of football, I think it's a pretty fair take for somebody in Saudi Arabia to go. That's a bit xenophobic.
2: I'm not. I'm not asking you to to represent that that element of of of, for example, those owners to say yes, he's xenophobic. But I, the point I'm making is is so. I think. I, I'm not going to say that, that, that he's one way or the other. I'm not going to take a bleeding heart liberal approach. The fact is is that thinly veiled racism is 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 evident in the media, in popular media, it, across journalism all the time. According to which rag you pick up or which website uh, that, that 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 you cl- click onto, none of it is justified. It's appalling, and more sadly, over the last two to three years. Post Johnson, post Trumpism, it's completely embedded in so in so much culture across across the Western Western Hemisphere. But I've always believed is that is that you what you say is what you are, and if you're not and if you don't believe that, keep your fucking mouth shut. So, in he terms of Klopp's put, in terms of Klopp's point of view, if we think what he said is xenophobic, then that man is a xenophobe.
1: And, okay, and I'm not gonna, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not going to reply to that. That's not what I'm here. To, I'm not here to accuse any football manager of being xenophobic. I am here to simply say that it is okay to say some of the coverage of Manchester City by the media in the last decade has been xenophobic the collection of three Arab-owned clubs as somehow other to all of the other billionaire-owned football clubs in the planet can objectively, rationally be viewed from a certain point of view as xenophobic.
0: But they are the three that are linked to the state, which is why they can be picked out. To play devil's advocate, they're the three, irrespective of the colour of their skin or where they're from, they are three owners who are linked to
1: the state, which is why Klopp would accuse them of having financial advantage and i would counter that by saying that it is xenophobic when you take three completely separate entities right with three completely different business models and say that they're all the same because they're owned by arabs fundamentally manchester city newcastle and paris saint germain are three football clubs that are run completely differently
0: Right, I'm, everyone's owned
1: by billionaires. Everyone's owned by billionaires, uh, but they're run. They're run differently. They're the, the the grouping yeah. of the three together, it doesn't work. It doesn't wash. It will lead to accusations of xenophobia and racism purely because they're completely different entities running completely different ways it's very easy for miguel, miguel delaney or for another journalist to say from the outside ah yeah but they can never go bust they have a bottomless pit of money but that is not the truth objectively the football club that we support we know because we've walked away from enough transfers right we know that the football club has got spending limits that it will not go past we know that the football court club isn't a bottomless pit of cash we know that a serious stakeholding in the football club is uh, has been taken by silver lake which means that even if mansoor or somebody in abu dhabi wanted to go absolutely gaga with spending they're not allowed to board they got they've got a board to deal with. They've got, you know, the the everything that I'm saying, this is not rocket science. This is not I'm not uh you know, this is not high level intellect, this is fucking common sense, right? This is information that is available, it widely available in the public domain. So my issue right here, right now, with anybody getting upset at city using the word xenophobia is well you explain to me what it is if it ain't xenophobia you explain to me how it is that Paris Saint-Germain who've got a completely different business model to Manchester City are lumped in with Manchester City when Jurgen Klopp speaks
0: this this is in the week when Bowley at Chelsea's talking about Chelsea becoming the first one billion pound uh, operation and you have to ask why Chelsea are not in this conversation. It's almost as if the £1.6 Obama which I think has been written off, not heard much about <laughs> it since, has been ignored and why they, who are Bowley wants them to become the most financially profitable football club going, why are they not in the conversation? Why, why are Liverpool not seen as a disadvantage to them when they have spent far more money this year than City? Wiped off loads of money. And of course I've had loads of money. You before, tell me but, Howard.
1: You tell me I why, think, why 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 Chelsea aren't in the conversation. I think it's pretty obvious. I think I've just spelled it out. And
0: of course United will always have as much financial right. prowess but, as but, City. But, even when the Glazers are leeching off money. And the creaming off their can, profits. So. I,
2: I think it's really important. Because I feel like we're skirting around an issue a little bit here. My, so we'll talk about just two separate things. So, well three things first of all we're saying about whether City should have done what they've done and I think we agree that they shouldn't have done it it, it was tactless and it wasn't and it, it, it wasn't well considered they didn't think about the long game I think also we're talking about the fact that we know that the financial suggestions that are made about our club our club are falsehoods is that we have an excellent business model and the simple fact is we, we don't just go spending um, uh, hell for leather we do have a model that we work to. And and to go to your point, Asen, about saying when people when this this otherness that that the three clubs refer to as it's undeniable that it's about people of color and it's about xenophobic traits as well. But then I think it's really important that we are clear about that. When when Klopp said those potentially xenophobic comments, I think he was. He, he was trying to obscure the fact that Liverpool were not do, doing well this season, hadn't started well. So he, so he did the usual thing and he blamed City for being better and, ha- and ha- having more money. His lack of foresight prevented him from thinking, hang about, these might come across as ill-thought-out comments. And then the conspiracy of passivity from the media, who then didn't interrogate him, sufficiently on those questions also suggests a xenophobic agenda but if it's there and we think it's there indirectly or otherwise consciously or subconsciously then we then we are right to call it out if that's if that's what we believe regardless of the twitter traffic i don't we think, will think get it from might, no i
1: don't, I, don't I, I see what you're saying but i don't I, I don't i don't need to call it out in the sense that I'm sitting here on a Manchester City podcast, um, speaking in a, in a vacuum to an echo chamber of people who largely are going to agree generally with, with our views on, on this sort of stuff. There is no, there's no public fight to be had. There's no, the moral high ground, uh, is, is well populated. It's very, very, very well populated by, um, people in the media and they have decided what the narratives will be. Um, I I wanted to, I wanted to bring something up because it's old and the fact that it's old and who wrote it for me is an, is a real insight into the problem that, that we have in terms of how we are, um, characterized in the media. Jonathan Liu, who is himself a minority. Mara, who is, yeah, and who is held up yeah. as, as one of the best football writers in the country. When Mares moved to City, um, yeah. he wrote a piece in which he called Mahrez a talented schmuck who was going to uh, sit on Manchester City's bench to collect a lot of money. And the manner in which he characterized City as a football club uh, was very much like the plaything of a man collecting Lions and Tigers to put in a cage in his back garden. I Found it deeply offensive. I remember reading the article at the time and just finding it deeply offensive and I also remember thinking this is so This is so disconnected from the manner in which The owners are trying to run the club. It isn't about faking or hiding anything City Want to be run in a very particular way they have limits and controls they have a small squad that you know that this isn't a the characterizations have reached a level of parody they've reached a level where there is no longer uh um there is no point in trying to rationalize Mm. there's there's zero point in trying to engage with anybody in the media about city is a football club i mean okay so also we shouldn't talk about the media as one homogenous thing because there are a handful of good city sympathetic writers but the volume and the loudest voices and the biggest platforms they populate the moral high ground and up on that moral high ground city about newcastle's owners newcastle about eddie howe was uh filleted uh, yesterday um Hung drawn and very, quartered
0: would
1: be, yeah. Yeah, dr- dr- hung drawn and quartered. Eddie Howe was hung drawn and quartered for um trying to defend the manner in which the people who run the football club that he manages run the football club. He didn't say anything. He, he didn't, one, he didn't go after uh, anybody in particular. He he spoke generally about what he'd seen from the inside. So, and Eddie Howe is a Guardiola is a, quite a divisive character. Yeah, that's fine. I understand. I understand, and I respect that. Um, Eddie Howe's not really a divisive character. If if Eddie Howe is is getting it in the way that he's getting it, then you know we're not in a. There is no battle to be won. There is no. Uh, There are no hearts and minds to be won here. We just got to keep it moving. And to the, 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 my kind of last point on this, and I'm sorry because I realize I've talked a lot, but I wanted to get all that off my chest. My last point on this is when you tell me that I'm not enjoying something that I'm loving, you're only fooling yourself. Mm. I, I love this football club. I don't need to love Sheikh Mansour. I don't need to love the politics of Abu Dhabi. I love the way Khaldun has run the club. I love the way that Soriano and Begarra Stein have run the club. I love the way that Guardiola represents the club. I love the way the squad, 99.9% of our playing squad, I love the way that they represent the football club. I love what the club means to Manchester locally. I love what it means to the community. There ain't no newspaper column that can say that away. There's no, you know, there's no... Op-ed that Jamie Carragher or anybody else can write—that's—that's going to take that away. When they say those things, they're really just fooling themselves. It's like putting a plaster over your own envy. Um, hmm. And so, you know, we just got to keep it moving.
0: This bit of that uh, 1st of all, Klopp obviously can snap a journalist for asking about the weather, so no one's ever really going to fire back at him. Uh, Deep down, and it's pure speculation because of course they have no idea what went in at City. I'm complete guess is that they're just sick of playing the Liverpool game in a way, and they should have apologised, but because for that reason, just felt no, we're not doing it this time. We're not being controlled in a way and told what to do. Uh, a Liverpool fan has, in private, been you know had an apology from City. who say before the. The home game. Everyone will be reminded by email that's going to the match not to do offensive chants and that sort of thing. But I think it's because it was Liverpool that City decided no, we're not apologising. Even though privately they probably thought, well, we should do that; would be the right thing to do. Uh, Chris, about the rivalry itself, it's toxic now, and mm. I worry about where it's going. Or is this just this just modern society nowadays? But ultimately. Does this not begin... Has this not developed because City repeatedly beat Liverpool to titles? And in a way, yeah, the one dig I'll have at Liverpool fans, it's allowed a of bitterness to develop at the core of all this. And they, everything else is just using it as an excuse, really. Money, ownership models, etc., and all that. This rivalry is because, well, they're the two best teams in Europe and have been two of the best teams in Europe for a few years. But it hasn't helped from the Liverpool perspective, when they keep losing that? They might win some battles, but they keep losing the war.
2: I think, I mean, it, it just, it presses me beyond description, really, because there's always been rival rivalries in, in, in football. And you, you just look across the rest of Europe where those rivalries are even more intense. Or you know, cutthroat, almost. I think that that I do wonder whether this rivalry is any more toxic than the one between United and Liverpool, and whether it's just because there are more platforms and and mouthpieces for people, usually people with the loudest voices, not the most intelligent minds, to be able to to, to speak. To have a rivalry, you've got to have two bodies, two entities fighting against each other. So I think that that you know I think certain City fans will contribute negatively to the conversation as much as Liverpool fans will do. But I think what I do think about this rivalry is that it doesn't it's it doesn't feel like it's being played on a level playing field. In in that we'll always have the same agenda thrown at us is that we're a plastic club we have got no history because we've got new rich owners coming in. And which echoes so much of what we've just talked about in the last in the last half an hour. Liverpool United's rivalry was about the number of titles and and Ferguson knocking Liverpool off their perch and all that and all that stuff. I think that that what I see with this rivalry particularly in the social media are other prejudices and other um malignant attitudes being served through the through the lens of this Liverpool city rivalry. That's what I find really uncomfortable. And that and that for me is where it's that that that's where I think it's a really unhealthy preoccupation to spend time really looking at it because there's nothing to gain from it at all. It, th- there's been so little said about what actually happened on the pitch on Sunday. All that has been neatly swept aside to focus on the rivalry, to focus on the what it, to focus on the the tit for tat accusations. If the, if the conversation was about who was the best on the pitch on the day, who who tactically was the most astute, who who had the most benefit from the referee, all those more traditional arguments that we'll have around a so-called rivalry, in many ways the Liverpool City rivalry often isn't about football. It's about it's about other prejudices which, which, which come along and are, and are based are based on history. Um, but but the thing is is where it from we where's Liverpool, where Liverpool's argument constantly falls down is they always resort to the same default agenda with is that we're a plastic club and we have dodgy owners and and we have, um, you know, we have uh, financially polluted the Premier League because of the money that that, that 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 we brought in, which I think actually obscures what the actual problem is. So having a rub with Liverpool does does nothing for me other than fill me with bile for that club and that fan base, which, I th- which is not always a great place to be in because it just distracts from the football.
1: No, I, I, uh, I, for the days you we ex-
0: just used to moan about VAR.
1: <laughs> shall I give you an example of why it's not all like that? Um, so I found myself listening to a Liverpool podcast this week. And- uh, Are you crazy? <laughs> No, I'm interested. I'll be. be He he read Jamie Carragher's article as well. He's taking he's taking bullets for the team. I am (laughs) taking bullets for the team. No, I'm genuine. I'm genuinely interested. I think that you know, it's it's interesting to know what that every supporter base will have its dickheads, but every supporter base will have the sensible people, right? Mm. And so listening to a Liverpool podcast, and and they, the guy basically said. City don't really get a fair shake. The guy basically said, they've actually got a pretty small squad. If you look at the kinds of players that, that Guardiola's bought, he's not really, you know, with the exception of Robot Boy, he's not really gone out and bought like loads of rock stars. This is a, uh, the City's success is a coaching achievement. It's not a spending achievement. That too, I'm paraphrasing him a little bit. It's a Liverpool fan who more or less said that. It's really interesting that, that that is something you won't find that anywhere in the mainstream media. You just won't maybe the MEN will will write that. If you're lucky, Martin Samuel might write it once a year. But you'll you'll never you'll never see that in the mainstream media. You've got a Liverpool fan who's prescient enough and, and is has got his eyes wide enough open to go, I kind of looked at their bench at Anfield and went. Beyond Mares and Grealish, there isn't like a lot of game-changing stuff on that bench. It's not the the way the club is characterized is not the way it actually is. That's coming from a Liverpool fan, hmm. right? Who's got a Liverpool podcast, who's got a vested interest to be knobheads about us because it's good for business. It's the, We're at a point for me where, we're we're through the looking glass there's very little point in trying to make sense of a lot of this stuff because it won't make sense because it's not it just feels too unreal to me it feels too you're fighting against something that you just can't fight against hmm. and often you, you know I, what you're fighting for exactly I, Exactly. I, 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 i'm not I fighting myself. for
0: my owner i can put it that way uh i have as i said I, I couldn't care less about owner, uh, but I'm very grateful he came here and I'm watching I had the best decade of my life with my friends and watched amazing mm. footballers but I don't give a shit about him uh, and I probably don't uh, and as fans we don't have to but yeah you, a lot of the time you're online you don't even know what you're arguing about <laughs> that's where we're at at the moment I I even fell into the Delaney trap last week when he said that City are you know, the team that can afford to buy 60 million pound players defensive midfielders and not use them and they'll still get 90 points plus I asked him who this £60 million defensive midfielder would sign. He obviously meant Phillips, who was £18 million less than that, and didn't reply. And then it's like, what's the point of all this, really? There's no winners here, is that at no. all? It's just but, but it's it, an it, but, endless it, it, circle of just pointlessness.
2: It's, it's the th- what's interesting is our biggest strength is also our biggest weakness, and that's emotion. Emotion can drive us on to, to achieve the most extraordinary things. It manifests itself in commitment, passion, belief, all sorts of stuff. But emotion is also the thing which can also be the most destructive because it it relieves us of our senses I mean, make impulsive choices. I found in the last 10 years that I love the club as much as I've loved it in the past. And I feel the same commitment to the club even more. So the, the, this notion that doesn't belong to us anymore is is patent bullshit, and and it's and it's, it's an idea that's engineered by by generational fans who've made who've, who've taken a decision, maybe based upon who the owners are. Who knows? I don't know people what like it means, you know, that anyway. Yeah, like people like Colin Schindler. It's like, mate, if you want to stay in the '60s, go back and do it, okay? But for 20 years after that, we were shit. So th- to think about it, but actually how I've learned to cope with the success of our club and the fact that I have to um, analyze in microscopic detail every game before, during and after the only way I can cope with the intensity of that. And the stress of that is, is I have become a little less emotional, no less, no less, no less committed, committed and no, certainly no less enjoying myself, but I'm less emotional in, in that I will no longer be wound up by certain things. And I think that, that so much of the way, not all Liverpool fans because I know a lot of decent Liverpool fans who are as rational, as reasonable as the guy you just described in that podcast, ASAM. But so many of them on social media in particular are driven by emotion, are driven by this sense of injustice about everything. And when it comes to football, their current injustice is City have more money than us. It's not, it's not fair. And, and I think it's that emotion. Which is such a pivotal part of the game, but in a really unhealthy way sometimes, is what I find myself so repelled by. And so much of this rival, this rivalry between Liverpool and Cities, because we've been the best, with the best two teams in the Premier League, and for and in Europe for the best part of the last five years. But it's only been a recent phenomenon that Liverpool have been a threat to us. For the first five years of the, of the City ownership, they weren't even in the conversation. It was United or it was Chelsea. So, I don't know, I find it, I, I just, I, I struggle with rivalries because I just don't think it brings the best out in anybody and the mm-hmm. focus should be on, on, on the field. And I'm not being reactionary about this. I just don't see, I don't see any benefit from this rivalry between us and Liverpool at all at the minute. All, all I see is toxicity and, and ignorance and prejudice veiled as partisan football, football team support and I struggle with it.
1: It'd be the same. It'd be the same whoever the the rival was, though I don't think that yeah. I think one of the things that i've 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 come to terms with is that you know you replace Liverpool with United and you'd have the same you you'd have the same kind of um weird ebb and flow where a manager can say in the summer, I have the best defenders in the world, the best goalkeeper in the world, the best attackers in the world, the best midfielders in the world. I've got nine midfielders. What are you talking about? Of course I can compete. And three months later I say, how can I possibly be expected to compete? And nobody will question the, 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 second, the second statement. It's, if we live in that world, I mean... Yeah, there's know a know distinction
0: though, I- being <laughs> able to compete on the pitch, but not being able to compete financially. Or must they be the same thing?
1: Well, I think that I think that the kind of the problem with even that is that, as Stefan pointed out um, last week, there's a difference between being able and choosing. So Liverpool are the value of Liverpool Football Club based on what the owners bought it for and what it's worth now, yeah, and the amount of money that it turns over. Liverpool are absolutely in a position to compete with Manchester City at every turn. They didn't not get Erling Haaland because we offered him a package that they couldn't. That's not the way this, even though these things are characterized in that manner, that's not actually the reality of the situation, the and again, and I, I hate to do this, but I'm going back to xenophobia, right? So the innuendo is always, yeah, but what are they paying him that you're not seeing, yeah? Mm. It's the smear, it's the idea that there are, you know, uh, bank accounts in Abu Dhabi opened in players' names where we dump money because we have to pay them twice what Liverpool would have to pay them. That kind of stuff, you only ever get that with City. You don't get that with any other football club.
2: The best thing that can happen in the media is is over the next three to five years, Newcastle become a real threat. We continue to dominate and they become our main competitor and then the media has got to choose between a rock and a hard place which which devil are they going to support in that because they they will apply the same accusations at at, at Newcastle and maybe the only maybe the only time it will change is literally when these journalists are no longer writing either through retirement or death and there's no longer this generational partisan support of Liverpool in the media because we have a new generation of journalists who have, who who have only been writing while city have been a dominant force and have no memory of a magical Liverpool period from the sixties and the seventies and the eighties. Maybe that's when it will change, but I don't see I've that happening
1: anytime soon. I agree. I, yeah. I've said that before. I I, I think that this is a, a generational thing. I think, you know, the interesting thing is um, Stefan again, something that he was very prescient about and and that he pointed out really well is if you look at the statement that um, the new chief executive of the Super League made about the Premier League, right? It mirrored the statement that Klopp made about City as a football club. And I think that therein lies the kicker in all of this, that the financial disparity is not between Manchester City and Liverpool. It's not between Liverpool and Spurs. The financial disparity is between the Premier League and the rest of European football. That's where the problems are. That's where the, if there's going to be a fault line inside football, the fault line is absolutely never, ever, ever going to be state ownership, Arab ownership, Russian ownership, American ownership. No. The fault line will be the Premier League and the amount of money that it generates in comparison to the rest of Europe. And how do the rest of Europe deal with that and navigate that? Finally. Do
2: you think that, sorry, Howard, I'm just, I just one more question. This is really important to me. Do you think that this, this fallout and the accusation of xenophobia would have happened if City had won on, on Sunday?
1: i don't, I mean again i do, i don't know in the sense that um the I, I genuinely i don't i don't know the depth of feeling that privately the club have and i've got a pretty good idea of the depth of feeling that Caldoun will have about it and i think that he laid that bare a couple of years ago in a uh, mm. in an end of end of season interview yeah where where he basically said I find it pretty disgusting that uh, uh, clubs are being lumped together based on the skin color of the ownership. And even that rattled a lot of people. A lot of people were like, what is he talking about? I think that this is where the idea of xenophobia and racism is. is, is it's almost impossible to argue against the moral majority, even if the moral majority generally probably haven't experienced what we're talking about mm, you know
2: but you, but our, our, our uncertainty about whether we know whether it would come out or not according to the result depresses me even more because it's either a really important issue or it isn't regardless of the result
1: There should and never that's have said where, it they should never of course they they should they should have, never could, ever, of, ever of course have gone down that road it was beyond naive for them to go down that road for all of the reasons that i've stated for the last hour you're not winning that battle you're not winning that argument you're not winning that war you're not winning that narrative nothing you say at this point is going to make next man go oh no it's a level playing field everybody Mm. is entrenched in the idea that it's not a level playing field when you compete against Manchester City. And that is solely down to the fact that to who their owners are and the resources that their owners have. Now we can say that's not true. We can know it's not true. Khaldun can know it's not true. Silver Lake can know it's not true, but we're not changing anybody else's mind. So we shouldn't go after it. Well, the yeah. final
0: question is, where do we go from here then? In the toxicity between the two clubs, it's not a manager thing. They seem to get on, okay, fine. The players, a lot of them are mates nowadays. It's fans and it's boardroom level, really, where the hatred exists. Should the clubs be doing something now or is it just going to, will nature take its course?
1: I mean, I think they hate each other. I don't think that's going to change. <laughs> the, the boardrooms, yeah. no, the boor- I'm, I'm, I'm boardroom, Boardrooms, I'm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, I, I, yeah. I, I suspect yeah. the boardrooms really despise each other so i don't think that's going to change honestly how would you ask the question of where do we go from here i'll tell you exactly where we go we win the league and we enjoy it and we celebrate yeah. it and we win as Absol- many trophies Absol- as we can yeah and yeah the rest is for it's for the others
2: and, and and i would add to that yeah definitely win the league shut them up win everything else that you can do keep them quiet let let dominance and success be your main mouth your, your mouthpiece Individually, all we can do as fans, as people, as colleagues, whatever, is always call out that kind of prejudice, xenophobia, racism in any environment socially family work wherever it is on the football field what in the football grounds wherever constantly call it out when it is there and make no excuses for it because if we're not part of that solution we're part of the problem that's what i think we can do the club needs to win we need to continue to be the vanguard of ensuring that all these that, 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 that this appalling culture which has emerged over the last few years where prejudicial statements are okay because people have a right to be able to say what they want is slammed down and that's all we can do individually
0: well said uh nice of jamie carrie on his tweet for his article anyway to to admit that city have the best team and manager so that was nice of him very humble yeah, but that, he did say it in the tweet, so he had, he accepts Pep is greater than Klopp, so nice to see. Lost in all of this is, of course, City of Ballon d'Or winners as well, and we haven't even got time to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> not that I care in the slightest. And final word, I think should go to a man I'm happy to take the piss out on this podcast, uh, because I'm usually, usually having a go at the crowds queuing outside his uh, gigs. The man who invented podcasts themselves, Jake Humphrey. Uh, Credit where credit's due for his tweet. People seem to constantly claim Man City fans are unhappy, angry or bitter. However, when I see their reaction to trophies, titles and victories, I don't see it. I see happy, proud people. What's the narrative about? What's it about indeed? Uh, Questions on a postcard. Say, he did host City Live once, so obviously
1: uh, (coughs) he's now forever a blue. I think, he's got a. He's, he's obviously got a bank account in Abu Dhabi that we don't know yeah, about. Clearly,
0: he's been, clearly. He's been, yeah, he's been on the, like Martin Samuel, he's been uh, on a yacht in Abu Dhabi, hasn't he? Yeah. He's, he, he?
2: He's got an enclave of 10 wives in Abu Dhabi, so has Martin Samuel. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? You know. So. Martin Samuel looks a type to have, yeah. <laughs> now, now. now. <laughs>
0: uh, that's it for part one. We've gone <laughs> we've uh, I think we've put the world to rights. Who I would hope so. Uh look, thanks to both of you for part one or being so candid in those thoughts. Uh, it's time to look forward. I hope you're both fine with doing that now, yeah? yeah absolutely. Yeah? Very briefly. Uh before we do, uh, part two, yesterday I got to speak to Josh, a Brighton fan, all about the Seagulls uh, where they're at and what he thinks about Saturday's match. Uh, to talk all things Brighton, I'm delighted to be joined by Josh from the Together BHA podcast. Uh, hi, Josh. How are you?
3: Yeah, not bad, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, not bad at all. It's it's been a very weird week for <laughs> Manchester City fans. Pretty grim after Sunday, to be honest. But yeah, well, okay. Looking uh, good. No midweek football for us either. So there's the Arsenal game, uh, per se. Yeah, looking forward to get back to it basically this weekend. Uh, I guess the obvious place to start is, well, we're ten. Yeah, some teams have played different amounts. You're ten games. I think you played in the Premier League ten games into the season. How are you feeling about uh, Brighton and the team right now? Because obviously, it has been a season of upheaval for you as well.
3: Yeah, massive, massive upheaval uh, in the last twelve months. Um, So, with all that being considered, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Well, I'm delighted, really, uh, with with where we're sitting in the table. Um, the only thing that's a little bit worrying is how compact everything is down there. Uh, outside of you know where you guys are, um, it's getting a little bit tight everywhere else. The Premier League's—I uh, know they say everyone can beat everyone in the division, but it feels more so than ever this year um, with no real clear front runner. Uh, mm. and barring one or two really poor teams, you know, there's, I feel like there's room for one or two big teams to really struggle this year, which we're already seeing, so where we are right now with what we've gone through, very happy indeed.
0: Yeah, well, win. a win can take you to fourth, a loss could get you down to 11th at the moment, but I wasn't going to ask, but I guess it's worth asking do do you have a lot of World Cup commitments in your squad as well? Because of course that just throws the unknown into your season even more, haven't? it? I'm still loath to start forming conclusions about this uh, league table when you've got a, a World Cup that will just change everything right bang in the middle, so...
3: Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Uh, the world cup, I mean, this season is going to be unlike any other, right? Like I don't yeah. keep marketing it like that, but like, it really is true. Like I keep calling it the cursed world cup because no one really wants it at this time at that location. But here we are. Um, yeah, we have a couple, uh, Robert Sanchez in goal. will almost definitely be going with Spain. Um, so that will be one of them. Uh, and then we have a big Ecuadorian contingent going. So Estepinian, mm. Uh, Moises Caicedo, Jeremy Sarmiento, they'll probably all be going as well. Um, And then you've got a couple of others. Uh, Mitoma will probably be going with Japan. He's one of their best players. Um, And then Trossard uh, will obviously be going with Belgium. Um, And then Alexis McAllister um, will be going with Argentina. Uh, A lot of those players, uh, your Alexis McAllisters and your Trossards have quite a bit of competition in front of them. Um, So they may not play at all or may play bit parts. Um, so that won't hurt us too much and you know, if Bobby Sanchez goes and plays in goal for Spain, that's not really gonna hurt us too much. <laughs> yeah. Um that's j- just good, so
0: Well, as we speak on the Thursday, I think it's a month away today that it starts, yeah. So it should be interesting. Look I've got to start, I've got to say I'm afraid Graham Potter is a huge loss for you going uh, just how good was he for Brighton.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the results speak for themselves, right? We yeah. went from a team struggling to survive under Hewton, uh, and we have totally revolutionized the way the club operate. Um, Tony Bloom, when he came into this club, uh, I mean, he's been in this club for decades and decades, but when he finally bought that kind of command and shared in the club in the mid-2000s and kind of took everything over, um, his. His vision was pretty clear in that this the style of football we play today is the style he wanted us to play. The way we kind of moneyball our way up the, the leagues with lesser-known players is how he wanted to operate. Um, and Graham Potter was probably the first person uh, since Gus Poyet that allowed him to do that. Um, and this Deserby is going to offer that same option. Um, so yeah, I mean he 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 helped revolutionise the club uh, mm. into the direction that that William always wanted us to go. So um, losing him at the time we did was certainly not ideal, but here we are.
0: <laughs> uh, just to throw in an extra thing, uh, I have no idea if this is right. Steve uh, Steve who does our Premier League review podcast and uh, well loads of our podcasts said that he fears Brighton that they the players had human connection with Graham Potter. Does that sound fair? That you know it. That that's part of the loss, really. Even if Deservey does, you know, carry on the same style, he had a huge human connection with the players. Is, is that right? Yeah. Uh,
3: yes. Um. Yeah. He definitely did. Uh. You know, the emotional intelligence degrees and all that good stuff that Graham has uh, can only help. Right. Like there yeah. was a lot of togetherness in the team, but there's been a lot of togetherness for a long time. Um. I don't. I don't foresee Deservey having much of a problem. Um. Just like any team, right? When a new manager comes in, some people will fall out of favor that were previously in favor. Uh, and some players will get chances that previously they weren't. And that will inevitably upset players, right? They want to play football. So I, I don't imagine it being smooth sailing. Uh, no, no new manager is going to bring that to, to, to a club when he comes in. Um, but you know, there were, there were players at Shakhtar Donetsk. Who went on record saying they were wanting to die for Deserbi, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which unfortunately, given the last calendar year, you know, became a bit more of a reality than we ever wanted to see. Right, but the the Sassuolo mm. players and the Donetsk players were very vocal in the human connection they formed with Roberto. So I think it's going to take time, right? Obviously, um, but, but it feels I, like I,
0: natural progression. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, yeah. And sorry, I don't want to. Stay on Blaine Potter for too long. <laughs> We've moved on, but do you think he will be? Yeah, for you know him so well from uh, Brighton days. Do you think he'll be a big success at Chelsea long term as well? If he's given it's a risk, term, is it not? Yes. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. If he's given long term, yes. Um, and I understand that the top bowler has taken over, and he insists that he's going to do things differently. But Ch- Chelsea is still Chelsea, right? Like, yeah. It, it, so. um if That's why I worry time, about it because yes.
0: Chelsea is Chelsea.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not too worried about him. I would love, I would love Todd to get bored of him by Christmas, uh, and then Graham take over the England job. To be honest, oh uh, yes, that was, that was where we all wanted him to go uh, yeah. at Brighton when it was kind of inevitable that
0: he was going to be gone at some point. So, yeah, after the World Cup, maybe. So there's, there's going to be yep. no changes before then. Yeah. Uh, so Deservey, then have you seen much difference in? style of play am I right I think I read that he says he doesn't want to change too much certainly at the moment has it felt pretty natural progression when he's coming and you know when you watch the games would you would we as neutrals know there's a different manager in the dugout
3: uh, not yet um there are flashes of deserve style um he does have a very different style to potter uh but with the same foundation right the the, mm. the good football the passing football um the confidence the courage on the ball all that good stuff uh is is pretty similar to the way graham wants to play um but there are differences there uh if anybody is really interested in deservey i'll i'll plug the pod we have a full deserve episode where we go super deep into his uh his past and the way he plays football um and you'll see bits of it uh they're playing out from the back is is slowly changing under him but you know we are where we are in the league uh we are a really unique challenge um you know not many managers come in when their team when a team's doing well right especially a team at our level who's doing mm. really well so um i think he's playing the right game like right? being very careful being very deliberate on the small changes he's making um and for example when we played forest uh or brentford rather on friday uh we started with four at the back and at half time reverted back to a three um the four at the back is very much a Deserbi style of play, uh, and Potto's very much a three, and he, you know, he adapted back to what they know to try and get them a bit more comfortable in the game. So mm. he's he's finding balance. Um, I suspect post World Cup you're going to start seeing a bit more of a evolution than, than you'll see him right now.
0: Uh, I caught quite a lot of the Forest game this week. Is <laughs> the game that sums <laughs> up Brighton over Albion <laughs> more than that game? Because I must have been saying for two years minimum, God, Brighton are great to watch. Why? Why aren't you scoring more goals? Because you're brilliant until you get to the penalty area, and yet there seems to be a force field around that goal sometimes. Is the Forest game really just a perfect summation of what can happen for Brighton a lot of time, or was it even more, you know, a lot more frustrating than most games for
3: you? Uh, No, I think you're right, Um, but I think it was... An extreme level <laughs> um, <laughs> of, uh, uh, but, and, and this is—I I, want to say no disrespect, but I guess people will take it disrespectfully. But it—it it was because of just how poor forests were. Mm.
0: Um,
3: uh, now let's say it—they're
0: not that great yet. They're, no, say,
3: they're terrible. I'm the manager
0: um, is another manager. I think he's going great places, but we can't say it. They're not, <laughs> they're not playing very well at the moment. So.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my co-hosts said that I, he's never seen a team play better without the ball than with it. Uh, mm. <laughs> and and that's, that's how it felt watching him. Um And like you said, it was it was pretty much peak Brighton uh, for the last couple of years to, to do all that and come away with a 0-0 draw. So yeah, that pretty much does sum us up. So
0: I guess the problem is the same it's always been. You don't get to go and sign an Erling Haaland, do you? Uh, or splash £100 million on the striker. Uh, is that what it feels like? The squad is has, is always missing one. The addition of one top class striker, and you'd be, you'd be, looking you know, up that table definitely. You know, towards the end of the season.
3: Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because uh, a lot of Brighton fans are in disagreement as to what the issue is. Right. Um, and I think for the last two years, I think that's entirely fair to say uh, that. Well, the opposite, right? I think before this season. Um, It's not been the striker we've been lacking in. Uh Morpe's been scoring goals, uh and and Welbeck was scoring goals. The problem is nobody else was. Um like that was that was the big problem. Um this season we've now got the opposite issue. Uh we've scored fourteen goals this season. One of them was an own goal, thirteen of them have come from the midfield and our strikers have scored zero in ten games. Um so yeah, the answer this season seems to be that we seems to have Fixed that midfield goal-scoring problem, uh, and we've now lost the goal scorer up front. So, yeah, it's it's always a gamble, right? Signing strikers for a lot of money, um, you're always possibly going to be signing a really poor player, uh, as much as you are going to be signing a good one. But I think I think we've got to back to Zerbi in January or, or at at minimum the summer um, with a, a decent money striker signing to to help him out.
0: What's the deal with Welbeck? Did he just did the contract run out? Did he just want to leave? When it was Everton, isn't it that were coming through? So.
3: Yeah, he wanted to start every game. Um, and Potter couldn't guarantee him that with the way that Welbeck finished the season last mm. season because he finished incredibly well. Uh, he was our he was our lone striker throughout the the last kind of eight to ten games of last year where you know we flew up the table and finished ninth. So Neil didn't like that. Uh, he'd also got more competition in Undav coming in from from Saint-Joie in uh, in Belgium, so he didn't like that at all. Um, he was uh, fairly emotional on the touchline the last couple of games, walking off down the, the the tunnel and all that good stuff. Just uh, like Ronaldo, C-Ronaldo. yeah. I was, was going to say I see Ronaldo was imitating him yesterday.
0: Uh, but... <laughs> trendsetter, yeah.
3: So yeah, off to Everton he went and, and you know, he'll he'll start a lot of games there until Calvert-Lewin's back and then I feel like he's going to end up being in the same situation. Yeah, so.
0: that's why I ask it's not as if he's guaranteed more time now is it? So Nope. <laughs> Strange. Another player I'd love to ask about, Tariq Lamptey who, I know he did have a serious injury into past seasons. When I first yep. saw him I thought wow, it was like Chelsea if let another one go oh, here. always been really impressed with him but According to the internet, which is never wrong, 107 minutes in the Premier League this season. What is there an issue with him? Is it injuries or am I over egging his impact in games or his talent?
3: It's it's hard to know. Um, really, uh, he's never been the same since the hamstring surgery. Right. Um, he he looks very quick when he comes back on as a sub. He looks very impactful. Um, I I don't know. The answer is I don't. I don't know. Um, they're seeing something in training where they are concerned about him in one way, shape, or form. Whether it's right. his longevity to be able to see out ninety minutes, uh, whether it's his physicality is lost, um, or I, I don't know, I really don't know. Um, because he was a live wire pre surgery, uh, yeah. and post surgery, he's for you. He's played well, one hundred and seven minutes. So.
0: Yeah, when before the surgery, did it? Am I right in saying he looked like he was going all the way to the top for you?
3: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um and I don't think it's too late yet. He's so young still, right? Like he's mm. so young. Um and it, i think we're gonna see in the next couple of months what Deserbi wants to do with him. Um, because he's clearly a very talented player. Uh we've been talking about it on the show literally just this weekend. Uh he's if if he's not capable of getting through ninety minutes as a right back, um do you consider He's a similar he's a similar problem to Trent Alexander-Arnold, but for different reasons. Uh, Do you decide to put Lamptey at right mid or right wing to get that explosiveness and work on his attacking outlet? Uh, Because then he requires less work. Right. He doesn't have to track up and down that wing. Hmm. Um, It's the same question I think you have to ask for Trent. Like, do you push him further up? the problem is for trent more than more than lampty is a, is a fit is like a injury issue right trent is just a league two defender so i, I don't, it's <laughs> tough, it's tough to know so we i i hope we'll see more terry because he's clearly a very good player
0: um mm. oh, absolutely. we can just
3: hope to see him back
0: yeah right saturday's match uh i i think the the whole match last season i remember the City fans were disgruntled at half time because it was 0-0 but only because there was a league on the line and we were, I think we were all a bit on edge really <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then it was a slightly fortunate goal uh, I think it bounced a bit into uh, Mahrez's path in the second half and it went on to be 3-0 but so I always see this as a really tough match do you have confidence as a Bayern fan going into this match that you play can cause City problems Deep. You see uh, an Anfield repeat you know, where you should have won, to be honest, or, or are you quite worried about how the game would go?
3: I always have confidence in how we play because uh, yeah. we tend to we have an identity, um, we have a way of playing, um, and we tend to perform well against the top teams, right? Like you've seen it, we absolutely hammered Manchester United a couple of times, although mm. calling them a top team is tough now. Uh, Liverpool. Again, great line. performance, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spurs. I mean, we played Spurs off the park. Conte just did an Italian job on us; like it was a perfect job from him. Mm. Like it was just defensive masterclass. Um, so I have confidence that we can cause you problems. Uh, there's no chance that I see. I don't think we're coming away with an Anfield repeat, though. Um, no, I don't. Th- I don't think we'll take anything.
0: What do you think? Does everyone play the normal game or be more cautious and stick deep? Which is, you know perhaps or for the old City it was the way to cause us problems because I do think when teams play open it does fall into play into City's hands somewhat think he's going to change his game or to uh, you don't know him well enough to, to really answer that question
3: I, I don't know him well enough in terms of games played I know him yeah. well enough in terms of personality to know he's not going to close up shop too much yeah Um his whole identity is playing with courage and without fear and all that stuff. So I can't imagine that he's going to do that. Um, not to mention, Deserbi and Pep are very good friends. Um, so they, he knows, he knows what he's going to be getting. Um, if there's anyone out there that has an idea of how to possibly take a result from him, right, it's probably someone who's really good friends with him. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what we're going to see, but I, I don't anticipate eleven at the back and hoping to see out for a nil nil or anything
0: crazy like that. Mm. Uh, I would hope City fans know. Plenty of the Brighton squad anyway, but who who do you think will be the key players for you in this match, both defensively and those that can cause City the most problems?
3: Uh that back line is obviously gonna be key, right? Like we're going against the best striker in the world, uh and for my money, the best player in the world in Kevin De Bruyne. Um uh yeah <laughs> they are uh, they i mean what do you, what else do you have to say like that's all you really have to say they have the world on their shoulders at this point yeah. um good luck to them uh, <laughs> uh, and i think uh, going forward trossard uh i think is the guy to watch out for right like he scored a hat trick at anfield um he tends to uh really really do well when the game's more open um when we're playing those low blocks against your brentfords and your forests like they've well our entire front line find it hard you know that mm. uh, but when we play those big teams that play more open play more attacking Trossard is usually the benefactor from there um, he scored against Spurs he scores against Liverpool um, he scored against you guys it's pff, yeah it's going to be Trossard if anyone's going to cause problems for you this weekend uh, if if anyone causes problems
0: yeah Hey, hate Trossard I was going to put him in the <laughs> football team for about three weeks Forgot to do it and then he scores a hat trick. (laughs) So, right, I hate you now. It's typical. I mean, you should be thanking me because if I put him in, he wouldn't have scored at all at Anfield. So, Uh, see, he's always been a a lively player. Does he, for you, has he become a bit more of a killer in front of goal for you? Or, you know, has he always been that talent whilst he's been at the club? He
3: has been, uh, he's a hot and cold player more than anyone else. the only difference is, is, as time goes on and he gets older and he gets more games and he plays a lot more for us, right? Gets more comfortable in the system. Um, he becomes more hot than cold, uh, which is good. Um, he's always going to be prone to the cold games, though. Uh, this recent one at Forest was most certainly one of them. Um, so, but he's he's the guy. Yeah, he's he's the guy at the minute for
0: sure. Do you know? T- do you know what you had possession-wise at Anfield, by the way? 'Cause I guess what I was going to ask is if you don't see as much of the ball, will that be a because City always obviously tend to dominate possession stats, will that be a big problem for Brighton?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I've I've not I'm not sure how De Zerbi works out of possession when he's not mm. got the ball. Um and the reason being is because when we played you know, when Sassuolo were playing your inter Milans, your Juve, your AC Milans, they still dominated possession. Um which is Odd, right? But that's that's the truth of it. And I just looked, we had forty six percent possession at Anfield. Um so we certainly didn't concede the ball a huge amount. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I would anticipate him trying to keep the ball, uh, despite how tough that's gonna be. So we shall see. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well you are excellent on the ball and possession one of the, the brighter sides in that respect, to you not? Know? So Yes. Yeah, not we as if are. yeah, you're gonna be running around after the ball. I think you'll I think you will have pl- Plenty of possession. Definitely, you know, culturally over 40%. So I think the obvious thing to ask is, I ha- hate to say this because you build your hopes up, but because he won't uh, compromise on how to play, beat, an entertaining match should be guaranteed <laughs> this match. Uh,
3: yeah, I think so. Um, entertaining for who is the question. Um, when Harlem puts four past us, I may not be as entertained. Uh, but, but Don't worry. I think he doesn't uh, touch uh, it much so <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem I know uh, my fantasy team loves it but not much um else about it I've definitely captained him this week um but yeah I think uh I think it's definitely going to be entertaining yeah. um and I think really it's going to go one of Two ways. I think it's going to be entertaining and frustrating for you all because we're going to do better than anyone thinks, uh, mm. or it's going to be very entertaining. And you're going to hammer us like six two or
0: something ridiculous. prior to being better at home in a way, or better away at home. or do you really not see much difference? Yeah, do you see? I know you can be hot and cold in, in front of goal or results because they have been. There's no real pattern to your results, but are you specifically better at home or away? Or yeah, you know, is there not, not a big difference?
3: yeah not really this year um last year and the year before we had a real we had a real problem playing at home um mm. I'm not sure what was going on there in the mentality with Potter and the team um but away from home this year uh, we're i think we've took yeah we've took eight points at home seven points away, so very much. An even-keeled kind of performance, whichever place we're playing at, yeah. um, doesn't really fuss us either way, it doesn't look like. So, yeah, I wouldn't anticipate the the away day being too much of a detriment to the way we play, for sure.
0: Well, personally, I am a pessimist, but I think this could be a, a tricky afternoon for City. I think it causes big problems, but I think it will be a good game, a really good game, uh, I'll say for who? Well, let's just say for the neutral anyway, yeah. Uh, could hopefully high up on, yeah. I say high up on the match of the day uh, listings, but that, that makes it more likely to be a, a shock result as well, so uh, I True. won't commit to that. I, I always finish with a score prediction, so uh, what score do you think it will be?
3: Uh, I'm going to go with 5-1 City, unfortunately. <laughs> wow. Yeah
0: most fans come on a bullish and go for a draw or something, but yeah I'm <laughs> not, not pulling I'm your not punches. Stupid. I'm not going no. for five one. I'm gonna go <laughs> I'm gonna go for a tight two one win to City, so <laughs>
3: I'll take that. I'm go <laughs> yeah. the loss. Like, oh. i one Like honestly, like I I've watched a fair bit of Man City this season. Like I am a neutral when it comes to teams going for the title, right? Like mm. we don't have a chance, so uh this team is something special uh, since the Haaland signing. Everybody knew that you needed someone like that um, and the football you play now is just disgustingly dangerous uh, <coughs> and lethal so uh, I'm not an idiot. I know what you guys can do. Uh, I've, I've seen Kevin De Bruyne carve us apart every time we play you um, and he's now got the best striker in the world to supply that's really scary. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think we might concede a fair few.
0: Yeah, he had an absolute mare at Anfield, but before that, he has generally been having the best season I think ever. So uh, yeah, hope that continues. All right, Josh, thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And as always, after this weekend, all the best for writing uh, uh, for the rest of the season. Thank you very much.
3: Yeah, thanks very much. Likewise.
0: All right, let's get back to the panel as we do our own match preview of Saturday afternoon's match. All right, thanks again, Josh, uh, for chatting to us. Uh, Not confident at all with the 5-1 prediction to City uh, in that section. I went for (laughs) 2-1, but I'm going to change that when I ask you at the end of this segment uh, for your score predictions. right let's look to the future, let's talk about football, thank God, actual football on a pitch, and let's hope that's all we'll be talking about next week as well. Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you. I imagine after last week the players will be really keen to get back on that pitch and right some wrongs.
2: Hmm. I think so. I mean, I, part of me wished that we were playing in midweek, and then part of me was thinking actually probably, possibly not, because. I don't know if I'm quite ready for a top-of-the-table clash after that Liverpool game. So I kind of quite appreciate the break. Um, um, Mulv on Noisy Neighbours podcast seemed to suggest he had inside knowledge that there was a lot of funereal attitudes on Monday morning back at training at the City campus that players were not happy with Pep's tactical setup on the Sunday. So and I don't know how much of that is true. But however, I do think that this is now an opportunity for us to go back to the mean. Go back to the setup that we know works and don't set up to not lose, set up to do what we normally do, which is to win and win handsomely as well. So I think that I'm hoping the players feel the same sensation that we're feeling as supporters is that we want, I want a statement performance that to, to just confirm that Sunday was a blip. It often happens with the higher profile game well not often, it occasionally happens with the higher profile game that's unfair to Pep. but yeah, it's an opportunity now just, just to just to get back in lane and do what we do best and it's just I think it's unfortunate for Brighton who are coming in, not a great record so far, um, that they might be on the receiving end on, on, on a bit of a pasting
0: yeah, Before we talk City, eh, son? Brighton themselves, such a weird team in a way Attractive to watch. I don't the North Forest match in the week was just crazy. Yeah. How it was nil-nil, I don't know. Same old problems not putting the ball in there. Is this a potential banana skin for you? Or are you expecting sisters to come out and just blow them away?
1: I think I've been pretty consistent in saying that every game in the Premier League is a potential banana skin, particularly this season. I feel as though you can't turn up to any game at seventy or eighty percent um and then expect to come away with with three points. Uh I like De Zerbe. I said on a previous podcast, he definitely gives me Maurizio Sarri vibes, right? And I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but he's definitely giving me Sarri vibes. And what I mean by that is that he's dedicated to playing uh, beautiful football and he's dedicating to, dedicated to attacking with, with big numbers. And I think that that will always run the risk of leaving you exposed, going back the other way. Um so it's uh it's a tricky game because like like you said, obviously their problem is that they don't necessarily have the guy who can finish, but they can create chances, yeah, and if you create chances and you might you know if they have a really good day, two of their chances go in, and if they've scored two goals, well, you gotta score three to take maximum points, and being four points behind Arsenal, even now um. You don't really want that gap to get much bigger than that. So I think that City will definitely have to be at their best, very much at their best. And, you know, I will be, we'll probably talk about lineups later, but tomorrow is not a game for Mares and Grealish. Tomorrow is not a game to deviate from who your best 11 players are. I don't care if we've got Dortmund on Tuesday. Well, this is the bigger game of the two. Yeah. A hundred and percent. Yeah. This is I the know. bigger game of the two. That's so a lot. yeah, no shenanigans, Joseph, no shenanigans tomorrow in the lineup. Keep it. Just keep it simple. Stick to what has worked so far this season. And then from a player point of view, I expect everybody who was on the pitch at Anfield, who gets on the pitch tomorrow, to turn up. Because a lot of them didn't turn up last week. And whether that was tactical or it was individual, doesn't matter. They didn't turn up. They'll have to turn up tomorrow.
0: Chris, uh, I asked Josh this as well. Brighton probably only play one way, in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, could that be an advantage for City? They're not going to sit back. They're playing a natural game, which will lead to them getting up the pitch and getting chances, but surely also helps us because of the firepower we've got going forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Brighton were making such progress under Potter, and I really expected them to take another couple of steps forward. Obviously, Potter's departure put an end to that. So they're very much in a transition period right now, and we might not see truly what the new manager's bringing until... After the after the World Cup, um, yeah, they they do prefer to play on the front foot, but then that then that is dependent on how much possession they can have. If City uh, dominates possession, had,
0: they had forty six percent at Anfield, by the way. So you yeah. know they, they they were open and they went for it there, and you think they may do the same here. Yeah,
2: yeah they may, I mean, I, I mean if they do, I mean I really hope they do, and and I think and I think that that it will benefit us. I guess. I guess my thought is, is that if it's open, City then tend will still have more possession, even yeah. if it's higher up, even if it's in the midfield rather than in in the opposition's final third. I think inevitably, when teams come to play against us open, after about thirty minutes, they tend to fall back into a low block by default, really, because they have no choice because we, we press so high. Um, I don't know what to expect with Brighton tomorrow. I really don't. I think that um, I think since the draw with Liverpool, I think they've had one win. Um, They've not won and, the
0: last and, in the last four, I know.
2: So. Yeah, and and it's it's evident that that when you're relying on Welbeck to score goals, you might be waiting a while, because Welbeck has definitely found his level uh, now as a striker. He was never the will be to the people thought he would be at United or at Arsenal, um, so. I'm, I'm confident that City will win this game. I do echo what, what um, um, Aysan says, that we should play our strongest side. I just don't think Guardiola will. I think he'll give some players who didn't get a sniff at Anfield some time. And I think that will extend to Grealish. I don't think it'll extend to Mahrez. Um And it might also extend to um, possibly Laporte having some time. Uh, and then he's got to decide which, which side he wants to play Cancelo on
0: yes uh, Stone's back in training, but two days back in training. Yeah, it's too soon for him. Mm. Possible Tuesday. What sort of side are you expecting to see then? No, You say no messing about.
1: Pick the team. Okay, so Akanji, Diaz, Laporte, Cancelo, Rodri, KDB, Bernardo, Grealish, Foden, Haaland. That's yeah. the team he should pick. Yeah probably what I'd have
0: written down. Any different Chris? Uh,
2: No that's my team uh, So we expect Gundogan
0: um, to drop Yeah. Uh, yeah. apparently Walker's doing well obviously he's not playing Uh, but yeah we've we've missed the press conference Uh, Walker's doing well, Phillips is doing well but uh, who knows, I don't think we're going to see those latter two uh, before the World Cup but John Stones could be back in the next week or so but obviously too soon for him yeah, central defence I guess is the again, it's the one where we've got options, is it not, Chris? So mm. you could just you're perming two from four and anyway. I. Well, you're not really, because Kanji's playing it right back, so
2: I mean if, if if in the first thirty minutes of the game Brighton do come on the front foot, then it will really benefit having Laporte to be able to play, play the ball out. Um I do I think Diaz is not playing to his full capacity at the moment and i thought he was quite ponderous at times on sunday um and laporte does offer that thrust a little bit more in terms of mo- moving forward um so but it's a great it's a great you know dilemma to have i am just keen that stones gets back to full fitness because the difference he offers but what i'm also nervous about is it's just will this recurring pattern of stones's injuries ever stop is this now going to just be like a deadly pattern that continues for the rest of his career
0: ask me answer me a question if two centre halves are both right footed no one mm. blinks dear no one uh, raises an eyebrow at all about that happening and yet two left footed centre halves can't play together
1: what's the difference
2: <laughs> i mean is it is a is, difference. Uh, <laughs>
1: There, there is a little bit of a difference. I think that this is just my take on it. I think that um, the majority of left-footed players that I've seen, they can't do anything. I mean, they literally can't kick a ball five yards with their right foot. Uh, Whereas I can at, vouch for that. Yes, <laughs> if you look at the if you look at the 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 right-footed players, um, most of them are. are from a young age, taught to use their left foot a little bit. And therefore, you have that sense of if he needs to pass it with his left or if he needs to tackle with his left, he will he will do it. Now, maybe I'm doing a disservice to Laporte and to Ake, and maybe one or both of them are pretty comfortable on their right. But I can kind of see why it doesn't happen.
0: I'll tell you what it is. It's millennia-long... And rather sinister prejudice against
2: Southpaws. <laughs> th- no, but I, I, yeah, but I actually think there's something more to it than this, right? And and so, left-footed players are really hard to defend against, simply because they're not the norm. Ninety-five percent, probably more, of players, if you're a defender, of players that you will play against, will be right-footed. So your body goes into a default position when they come to you. When there's a, like, like as a boxer. You should be able to adjust fighting a southpaw, but you're going against everything you've learned in terms of your, your positioning and how you attack and where to, where to look for the jab, which side it's coming from. There's no coincidence that some of the greatest players in the world are left-footed. In the same, there's no coincidence that some of them are small and have a very low centre of gravity as well because it does have a certain advantage to it. David Silver was very hard to, to dispossess. Because he would tie players up in, into knots because they didn't know which way to turn their body. So I, I so when it comes to, to defending, then I, 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 don't see that there's a disadvantage. I just, I just see that it's not common. So when people say two left footers in the centre of defence, because it's not common, immediately people start to get hesitant or suspicious. I, I can't see the difference it would make. Um, in t- maybe in terms of. Distribution and therefore the impact on how they use their fullbacks, but ultimately not. It, it depends which way. The, you know, a striker will always be told push onto the defender's weaker foot, and that and, and, and invariably will be the left foot. Of the defender, if Welbeck does that against Diaz and Laporte, is in trouble because he's going onto their, their, their stronger yeah.
0: foot. I think ultimately, one left, one right is the is the. Slightly favourable combination for centre halves, but you're mostly right. Uh, I see in racket sports being southpaw, so you do get an advantage because the angles are different. But a lot of right-handed people are left-footed. It's not as prevalent. It's not as obvious. Like all left-footed footballers are not all left-handed. It's very weird. A lot of right-handed people do kick with the left foot, so I think there's a much fairer share of strongest foot uh, within football. So. I don't know. I only had, went down that huge meandering path just because <laughs> there is an option of playing two left-footed centers this weekend, but I don't think Pep would ever do it to be honest. Uh I I think Kake would come back in. Does anyone disagree with that? He is fit I assume. So as one of our best performances this season, does it seem obvious that he will start?
1: No, I think Laporte, I think Laporte they're going to want to get Laporte up just speed. Be- yeah. As, as quickly as possible so if I look at the well maybe maybe he keeps Laporte back for for the Dortmund the game Dortmund, yeah. and he and he plays uh, and he plays Ake tomorrow it's the it's toss of a coin to be honest mm. uh, ultimately how do you see
0: this game playing out then hey eh, son uh, Chris do you think City focus do you now have whatever Brighton will be Right, I think, yes, they will get into good positions, they will cause problems. But we're at a stage now, I mean, even that poor performance against Liverpool, Haaland had six shots, I think, apparently. Mm. He could have had a couple of goals, I don't think they were sitters mm. or anything. We had a goal disallowed, even in what I think was probably the toughest match of the season. There were openings there occasionally. Do you now have the confidence that whoever we play, especially at home, there is going to be a hatful of chances for City? And even if we do concede one or two, ultimately we're going to come out on top because our firepower is just better than the opposition.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I, my, my rage after the Anfield tactics was. I said it very plainly. We've built the greatest football team in the world. We have arguably the the best eleven in the world. We we were winning comfortably leagues without Haaland, and then we added Haaland to that mix, there's absolutely no reason to go into any game on the back foot. And so tomorrow I expect us to create chances and I expect us to score goals and I expect us to score more goals than Brighton. Even if they score two, I expect us to score four. Mm. Chris, full games, league games left before
0: the World Cup. Three at home as well. Leicester away Mm. and we've got Brighton, Fulham, Brentford. City got to be looking for 12 points really you don't want that gap getting bigger but hopefully getting smaller against Arsenal
2: I would be disappointed if we didn't take 4 points against that, Mm. I think just to go back to what we were saying before, the most comforting thing and reassuring thing I have about this club, that these players prove, is that you can be nice guys and be ruthless at the same time we 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 have a squad full of professionals who know how to conduct themselves, seemingly off the pitch as well as on the pitch, and I'm also reassured by the fact that they will be feeling and taking very personally that defeat at Anfield as much as we are, and they'll want to come and assert themselves, and they'll have very little mercy about it. So um, yeah, I I I, I anticipate um, a, 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 you know a brutal display that will put to bed any thoughts that anyone might have that there are vulnerabilities to this city team that any team in the division not just the top 4 can capitalize on we will i think we'll eradicate that thought on on saturday
0: uh, your score prediction then
2: well yeah 4-0 i just okay. I, I i i don't think, i don't think we'll concede I think we'll dominate possession and and i think brighton flatter to deceive Um, sometimes even more so with that so I'm going to go 4-0 that's partly what I want and partly kind of um, what I hope will happen
1: Asa 4-2 City
0: Okay, I went 2-1 when I spoke to Josh but I'm going to ramp it up a bit add another goal and go for 3-1 go (laughs) on lad we should score. honestly I expect us at home now we should score. score Yes, very Apart score. from a few select sides, expect us to score multiple goals every game now. So you know, I think two. Who knows? But I think they'll be focused. there's certain players, you know, <laughs> like Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland, are going to be pissed going into this more more than you know the others, and will be folks super focused, and want to make a point. So yes, I hope they go out there and do make that point and get back on track. Right, it's been a long and eventful (laughs) and emotional and very enjoyable frank podcast time has defeated us. Aysan, thank you very much for coming on and speaking your mind.
1: Absolute pleasure. Um, I really enjoyed that, and for once, I don't think I'm going to apologise for anything I said.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Chris, thank you very much for coming on. Pleasure, and we didn't mention we didn't mention referees once. It's a miracle. It's it in the notes. <laughs> Gave you in a in notes, but it's
0: going dark soon. So I thought, yeah. Next week, I do have a question for you on that. Uh, I will, yeah. I will ask you it at some point because I think it's a very, very important question as well. Uh, but it will have to wait until next week, next time you're on a show. I shall ask you Sounds Chris.
2: good. Sounds good.
0: That's a wrap. We're all off to put Erling Haaland back into our fancy football team. Uh, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. Uh, hopefully, lots of City goals involved as well. And as always, ASAN. Up oh, the villainous blues.